So if you, you've been with us, uh, we've been in Daniel for a long time, and we finished last week. And so really this week and next week, for the next three weeks, uh, kind of going to be one-off sermons on a couple different things, and then we will start a new series at the end of November that will take us to the end of the year on Advent, leading up to Christmas and the excitement of that. And really that series will kind of be a precursor to what we're going to do starting in January next year, because we're going to work our way through the Gospels together. So kind of a harmony of the Gospels as we look at Jesus' life. And so very excited for us to do that together, start that in January. But today, for this kind of one-off, we're going to look at Philippians Chapter 1, and uh, I chose this because I want us to think about something that I think is really vital that's affecting uh, our country, our world, uh, sadly, the church of Jesus Christ, particularly in America today. Uh, one of these things that I, I just see in so many different ways of so much division in our country and the way people are operating right now, I hear regularly, uh, you see it, you see it all around us, uh, There's, it's hard to, to miss it. But I'm hearing regularly how it affects you. And, and what I mean by that is it's your family and your relationships and the people you know in your life. I've heard that story over and over. Thankfully, it's very few and far between I hear where it's affecting relationships within our church, with us together as followers of Jesus and our church family. But I'm hearing how it's affecting people across the board in a whole lot of ways. And there's something as I think about why that's the case and what's happening. One of the things that I think has happened here recently is kind of a, a hyper-politicalization of everything. Everything becomes a political statement. You make a statement of, I think this, and somebody goes, well, that means you're whatever. And they kind of go on the offensive and they attack, and that's kind of everywhere around us right now. There's a whole lot of that going on. But what I want to think about today is as that's happening more and more in our culture, what worries me, or I guess saddens me is maybe a better way to say it, is I think that it's kind of made its way into the church. And people that claim to be followers of Jesus have kind of gotten swept up in this as well. And one of the things that I've seen recently, and this is going to be kind of a sharpening of the point of where we're going this morning, is what happens is we all have opinions, we all have things that we think and we hold to and we, on a whole host of different things. And our opinions may uh, not be wrong or right. I mean, they just may be different. But what's happening over and over that I'm seeing that, that frightens me or worries me is that people who are believers will take their opinions that they have and they will conflate them with biblical truth. I'm a Christian and I think this, so therefore what I think is what the Bible says. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's good. But what I see a lot is really, really poor discernment and bad theology and what we call proof texting to kind of baptize my opinions and then act like they're what the Bible says. And so what I mean by that, proof texting, if you don't know what I mean, is you take a, a passage of scripture, usually a verse or part of a verse, and you go, see, that proves my point. And you're like, yeah, but you kind of miss all the verses around it. All the other verses in the Bible and all the things that come together. And what happens is this has kind of almost become like a runaway freight train of, of bad theology. And it gets all conflated together. And in this culture that we're in where everything is kind of your this or that and fighting over it, the church gets swept up in that. And what happens is we have bad theology that's going to hitting Trump in it is like this is what Christianity is. What happens is uh, we become really ugly to one another. 
it becomes devoid of any grace or kindness in the way that we approach other people. And then we kind of put our flag in the ground, oftentimes where the Bible doesn't plant a flag in the ground, and we act like this is what the Bible says, when maybe it's not what the Bible says. And sometimes it's the opposite of what the Bible says. And when that happens, what, what, what the way to summarize it is the church starts to look just like the world. Instead of growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life, we've kind of left that behind and we're going after some other things. And sadly, we've, we've lost our way when that's the case. And I feel like I see that happening all around us. I see this over and over in the way people are articulating different things. And so this morning, I want us to zero in on Philippians chapter 1. And as I said just a second ago, I really want us to spend our time mostly looking at verses 9, 10, and 11. And so if you know anything about Philippians, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi that he helped plant. And he was there with them. He is now in prison and he's writing this letter to encourage them. He loves these people dearly. But what struck me here and what I want us to look at this morning is what he's saying. He's praying for them in 9, 10, and 11. And as I read that, I thought, yes, that is my prayer for the church today. That's my prayer for us the church in Dawsonville and in Georgia and America and throughout the world, that we would embody what Paul is praying here in verses 9, 10, and 11. And so as we look at it, I want us to think about it like this. There's just a couple things that are leading to this <clears throat> problem that we see in our culture and around us. And the first thing is we need to recognize the danger that's present. Secondly, what feeds the problem? And then lastly, how do we fight against it? So recognize the danger that's present, what's feeding the problem, and then how do we fight against it. And so let's just start with the danger that's present. And this is kind of the big picture, hopefully fairly obvious thing, but we need to start here. And so look at what he says here. He's praying for them. He's encouraging the church. He's writing to them here. Start in verse 6 and see what he says there. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about them as now being new believers and saying the fullness of everything God has created for you to be, God is going to bring that to completion in Jesus' return, and I'm sure of this, Paul says. But then look at what he says in 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so the first thing, the danger that's present that we need to be reminded of, all of us, this is for every single person, is that as we become a believer, there's still need for growth in all of our lives. Every single one of us. No one is exempt from that. All of us are still in process. Right? That's what he's telling us here. He's saying, I want you to continue to grow in love and in knowledge and in discernment. He's saying, I'm quite certain that God is going to do that and he's going to bring it to completion. And he says he's going to bring it to completion at the day of the Lord. But the implication there is until Jesus returns, we're always going to be in process. And there's growth that needs to happen. We need to continue to grow in that. And so the first thing that I want us to consider is that assumption is that we need to continue to grow in all things. That we can approve what is excellent. That we have this 
fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that that is the mark of our lives. That we get to a point where everything that we're doing is for the glory and praise of God. But the assumption here is that none of us have fully arrived at that, that we're still in process. Then you go, okay, well that's pretty obvious, I hope. I hope your, your theology is such that you go, yes, I recognize that I'm not perfect and I'm still in process and I'm growing. And that's important for us all to be reminded of. But I think the problem that I see in our culture today is what has happened is, in a lot of ways, that we forget that. Or we say, I'm saved, and I believe in Jesus, and I got that, and then we turn to the world to be disciples. We kind of leave that behind. We, we forget that that's the case, that we're all still in process, and we continually need to grow in that. That Jesus doesn't just save us, which he does, he saves us, he is our salvation, but then he also grows us, our sanctification. He justifies us, he makes us right with God through what he does by grace, through faith, and then he continues to grow us up into who we are in Jesus. But part of our problem is we miss that in a lot of ways. And so... Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And it says, the, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And that's absolutely true. You put your faith in Jesus, you are saved by faith through grace. And what Christ has done, God gives you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You are His. He moves in your life, and you are a new creation. That's true. We're saved by Jesus. We say that, hopefully you hear that every single week as you come here. We say that over and over and over again. But then throughout Scripture it says that now that we've become this new creation, our flesh is still there, and we're in process of living up into everything that God's created us to be. Living out of our identity of Jesus versus our sinful nature. But it's this battle that's ongoing, and you see this all throughout Scripture. You see it over and over again. Like Romans chapter 6. At the very beginning of Romans chapter 6. He says, what should we say now? Do we continue sinning so that grace may abound? Right? Paul kind of asks this rhetorical question. Do you just sin a whole lot so God's grace is more and more? And he goes, no, by no means. That's not who you are anymore. But then as you read through Romans, chapter 6 and chapter 7, there's all these things that he's calling us to. Don't let sin reign in your body. Don't go back to your old way of thinking. Continue to press forward and, and make and see your identity in Jesus. And so when you read through that, he says, yes, you're saved and you're a new creation. And look at what that looks like. But you're in process of living that out. Your sanctification, you're growing in what God has created you to be, growing in holiness. We say here, it, it's just really synonymous in a lot of ways with discipleship, what we say here all the time. That we want to grow up into the fullness of what God's created us to be. That we want to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life. And all of us are in that process. And there's areas where we struggle with that. And we need to be reminded of what is true of us in Jesus. And we're all in that process. Every single one of us. But what happens a lot of times, and I think it's what's happening today in a whole lot of ways, is that Jesus is our Savior. Right? My justification. I'm set right with God by what Jesus has done. I'm, I'm now, my sin, he has dealt with my sin, and he's given me the perfect righteousness of his life. I am a new creation, I'm set with him, and then we go, I'm good. And Jesus becomes our Savior, but not our Lord. 
He's not Lord over everything in our life. This idea of discipleship, of being obedient to Jesus in every area of our life, we're like, eh, some areas. But sadly, and, and I, I want to assume the best of what I see happening in our, in our world, is what I think is happening is a lot of people often don't even recognize that they're not having Jesus as Lord of their life. And so discipleship, instead of it being, I'm seeking to follow Jesus in everything, what happens now is we've embraced that idea, I'm justified by faith, but we've left the sanctification part. We've left the discipleship part. It's confession without discipleship. And so we miss that, that we are still in process, and we desperately need to be growing in that process. And so notice what he says here in verse 11. He's praying for them. He says, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Jesus is our salvation. He justifies us. But Jesus is also the way in which we are sanctified. Right? Because he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That it comes through being disciple that comes through making Jesus Lord of your life and continuing to hold fast to him in everything. And so what happens, though, is a lot of times we kind of say, yes, I'm saved and I've got Jesus, and then we just go along in our life. And the discipleship piece, the sanctification part, kind of gets pushed off to the side. It just gets neglected, we'll say. Maybe that's the, the, the right way to think about it. But here's the problem when that happens. There's no neutral in discipleship. I go, wow, I'm saved. I've got Jesus and I'm a new creation. But then I live like the rest of the world in every way. If Jesus is just my Savior and not my Lord, then something else becomes your Lord. You're being discipled whether you recognize it or not. And so if Jesus is not Lord of your life and we're seeking to be obedient to him in every area of our life, we end up getting discipled. I think in a lot of ways, we end up being discipled by the little device in your pocket. Mine's sitting over there. Your phone. Right? We are bombarded with messages of every moment, of every day, and everything that we're doing. Constantly and unrelenting. You are being discipled. Oftentimes by the device that you carry around in your pocket. And instead of holding fast to the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, we start to embrace what the world says. Right? And, and I think oftentimes, unknowingly, and maybe even, I want to assume the best, that I want to see things be better. And so we're being discipled by the world, so we go, well, the fruit of righteousness comes through power. Or the fruit of righteousness comes through uh, politics. Or put them together, the fruit of righteousness comes through political power. If I just had the right person in there, then things would be good and that will make everything better. Because that's what the world says all the time. That's the problem. Everything is a political issue. Everything is this person or that person. And we start to hear that over and over. The fruit of righteousness comes through guilt and shame. Make people feel really bad for what they did and that will change them. The fruit of righteousness comes through canceling people. Or the fruit of righteousness comes through getting really, really angry and letting everybody know how angry you are. 
except the Bible says that anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is that part too. <laughs> and so what happens though is we hear these things, what the world is saying, and we've kind of left our discipleship, kind of benign neglect. And I let all these things pour in. And they kind of fill the place. There's no neutral. And we get pulled into that. And so simply put, we cannot be discipled by forces that are opposing to Jesus. It doesn't work. I mean, it says very clearly here, the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And when we fill our minds and our time and everything that we do with things that are opposed to what Jesus says, guess what happens? You look like the world and not like Jesus. And the sad part is we get swept up in that, and I think a lot of times people don't even realize it. It's the context with which we're living in. We're so inundated with all these things and all these ideas, we don't even see that they're not what the Bible says. It's not what God says. And we've kind of left our discipleship to the world in a lot of ways. And so the Bible's clear on this. Right? You are saved by grace through faith. Say this a lot. Transferring your trust in yourself and what you do to Jesus and what he's done. And that is absolutely true. And you're made righteous in God's sight. Not by your doing, but Jesus is doing. But then as you seek to live that out and bear fruit, Jesus has to be Lord of your life. And that is a process in which we are continuing to trust him more and more. But if we miss that, if we don't take up the things that God has told us, we're not involved in the things that he has called us to, we're not making him the center of all things, something else will take that place. And so justification without sanctification, I'm saved and set right, but now I'm not seeking to live that out. And the world will do it. Other things will flood in and take over. And so I'll give you an example. Right? You become a believer and if you're not plugged into discipleship and people walking with you and those things and you're leaving that to your phone or the things you watch on TV or your computer the things that you're looking at, you're going to be swept away quickly. And what that looks like. And so I was thinking about this. Um, actually, we were talking about the new member class earlier. Uh, I don't know if some of you know this about me, but uh, my undergraduate degree is in architecture. And so I went and got a degree in architecture from Texas A&M. Uh, environmental design, fancy way of saying architecture. It's my degree. And I have a piece of paper, and I get a job, and they give me a title. So you're an intern architect. And I start there, and uh, probably six months in, I was like, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't really know anything, right? Like, I know some... Some uh, architectural history, and I took some design classes, and I built some cool models and stuff, but I don't really know what I'm doing here. And real quickly, they're like, go get the code book for the whatever, and you're like, the what? And where do I find that? And what does that look like? And quickly you realize you don't really know what you're doing, but thankfully I worked with a lot of really good architects. And I go, oh, we're using the International Building Code, and you need to look that up in Section 12. Bring it over here, and I'll read it with you, and we'll look at it. And you go, okay. And all of a sudden, you start to kind of, like, feeling around in the dark. You start to kind of get your bearing, and you start to learn, and they teach you, and you go through that. And over time, you start to understand how all this works, and construction documents, and all the things that go into it. But when I first started, I really didn't know what I was doing. 
But I want you to imagine that I became, I got the piece of paper and it tells me I've graduated and now I've got this and I have the title and I go and I start to do it. If instead of going to work and having people pour into my life and saying those things, if I went and I got a couple of my buddies that I graduated with and we started our own firm, we said, we don't need any of that. We'll just do it ourselves. What would have happened? Or, or better yet, we go, if we just don't know something, we'll watch a video on YouTube. We'll YouTube it. We'll watch HGTV. It'll show us how to build buildings. <laughs> we would have been horrible, right? It would have been terrible very, very quickly. But sadly, spiritually speaking, that's what's happening in our culture. Instead of the things that God has told us historically, this is what it looks like, and this is what discipleship looks like, and this is how you walk this faith out, and how you continue to grow closer to Jesus and what it looks like. We've done the same thing. And we end up being discipled by our culture. We're discipled by our phones. We're discipled by Netflix. We begin to feed our flesh with voices that confirm our ignorance and bias. And we don't even realize it. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I think a lot of you are. You're a lot of smart people here. A lot of you are much smarter than I am. But every time you pick up your phone and you search for something, it remembers what you searched for. And it remembers what you clicked on. And it remembers what things kind of piqued your interest. And so next time you search, it's going to give you more of those things. And it doesn't really care about what's true or not. Right? The algorithm that runs your phone and your computer cares most that you're going to click on and that you're going to buy stuff. And you click on things and you buy stuff and you get more engaged when you're angry. There's a whole lot of research that says that. And so it's even better if the things that come up pique your interest, but they make you a little angry. I'll show them. And you know what happens? Suddenly you're down this rabbit hole of things that aren't even true, but they're confirming all the things that your flesh wants to believe. And suddenly we're reading all these things. And what happens is it happens within the church. Well, I think the biblical way to deal with X is this. Let me search that up. Oh, there it is. See, that's what I believe, and you click on it. And then the next time you open your phone, it brings the same things up. And you go, see, everybody thinks that. I'm right. And all of a sudden, you've gone down this rabbit hole, and you've gotten all these things that are sucking you in and making you angry and wanting you to click more. Because the people behind it are making a whole lot of money off of it. <laughs> they don't really care. And so what happens is you end up in this rabbit hole of being discipled as a consumer in this world. And it doesn't care about biblical truth. Remember, everything we talked about in Daniel, we live in Babylon. Right? The, the heading over our whole series in Daniel. Babylon is the city that says... I don't really care about God. You don't need God to make a name for yourself. It's all about you. That's where we live. And when you're discipled by that, what is it going to do? You don't need God. And so what ends up happening is we end up getting discipled by the culture. And it's over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden we look around and the church looks nothing like Jesus. 
We're saying, well, this is what the Bible says. And it's like, yeah, that one half of one verse that you're getting, but you're neglecting all these other things over here that it says. And what happens is we get discipled. And so I just say this for all of us, and it's so important that we stop and think about this. There is no neutral in discipleship. You are being discipled each and every day. And if it's not spending time in God's word, if it's not making concerted effort with other believers in your life to speak the truth to you, to have hard conversations, to wrestle with those things together, you easily get sucked into this. And it's everywhere. And it's all around us. But there's one other layer to this, right? This is what's feeding it. We're being discipled by our culture. But there's one other layer that's really sad to me, and it's happened in the last two years. It really comes out of the pandemic. I read this the other day. That a third of people that were involved in a church before the pandemic are no longer so. And they're nowhere. They're not, they didn't leave one church to go to another church. They just left. I'm going to go it alone. And there's a whole host of reasons why. Well, I go there, and somebody says something I disagree with, and they want to argue, and I don't want to argue, so I'm just going to be, I'm not going to be around those people anymore. And so what happens is they go it alone. I'll just hunker down with my closest friends and family, forget everybody else, I don't need to be involved in that, or it'll just be me and God, but here's the problem, really two problems. One, you're in direct opposition to what God tells you to do. This is ignoring clear commands of Scripture that we're to be part of a local body. God calls us into that. So there's, there's that. There's just the, <laughs> we're ignoring the clear command of Scripture. We should probably start there. But then the second part is when you're being discipled and there's all these voices pouring in and you isolate, guess what happens? It's like you've stepped into the echo chamber where the only voices you hear are the things that you're being discipled by and you. And that's a problem for all of us when we go down that road. Our flesh gets kind of pulled into that. Ah, yeah, I don't need anybody else. They're all wrong. I'm right. I can figure this out. But you weren't designed that way. God didn't create you for that. But that's what's happened. And that's what's feeding it. Now, this is an oversimplification. There's a whole lot more to all these issues. But I think all of these things are true. And they're happening at kind of alarming speeds all around us. So what do we do? This is where I want you to really look closely at what he says here. In Philippians chapter 1. Look at 9 through 11 again. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So how do we grow? Right? We're, we're all in process. We're being discipled, but he tells you here that he wants our love to abound more and more, wants to have all knowledge and discernment, to improve what's excellent, be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We make Jesus the Lord of our life. That he's over and through and in everything, all of it. Part, the hard part, when you really stop and think about this, though, 
Because oftentimes when we're discipled by the world and we're doing all the things I'm talking about, a lot of times you can get into, well, I am doing that. I do follow Jesus and I am following those things. But here's the thing. It's the lens at which you're looking at Jesus through is what the world has shown you. And we have to flip that. Jesus has to be the lens through which we live through everything else. And so what happens, like proof texting, you take this text, you take it out of context, and it means this, and I'm right. Here's the problem. is we take the Bible, we take a little snippet, and we place it in the context of the world. And now it means something totally different. We've divorced it from the context. We need to take the things that we're dealing with in the world and take them and place them in the context of the Bible. In God's word and what he has told us and who he is. And so what Paul says here, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Peaks my mind quickly when he says the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It makes me think of something that Jesus said about bearing fruit. In John chapter 15. Abide in me. He who abides in me and I in him, he is the one that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It says, abide in me and abide in my word and ask for anything. It's a pretty incredible thing in a sense. You abide in me and you abide in my word and you trust me in what I have told you and you're going to see God move in ways that you can't fathom. But Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we're not just saved by Jesus and we pray a prayer and we make a declaration of faith and then by osmosis our life changes and we bear fruit. It's by abiding in Him. By continuing to stay in Him and with Him in all things. Letting Him be Lord over everything else. I'm going to tell you, we're gonna, next year we're going to read through the Gospels together. And Jesus is going to say a whole bunch of things that don't fit in the categories of our culture. People are going to say, no, it has to be this, or it has to be this, and then Jesus is going to say something totally different. And you go, oh. If Jesus is going to be Lord of my life, I'm going to be out of step with this side and that side. If I'm going to abide in his word, it's going to change the way I see everything. And so he's telling us here to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. That's the exact same thing that Jesus tells us. And if we fill our life with voices and ideas and entertainment that are opposed to Jesus, all while not listening to him, or we fill our life with ideas and entertainment and things that we just consume, and then we read the words of Jesus, we're going to filter them through the world. But what Jesus is calling us to is you abide in him. He's first. He's Lord. You start there. Instead of taking God's word and placing it in the context of the world, we take the context of the world and we place it in God's word. And we abide in him in all things. So practically, what does that look like? Well, you read your Bible. That's part of it. This is a long way to just say, read your Bible, <laughs> to go back to that. But it's not just that. I'm not going to just say, read your Bible, and that's the answer. It is the answer to be 
in God's word, but it's more than just that. It has to be the context through which you see everything. And so that means when we read our Bible, we need to know the story of the Bible. We need to know the big idea. We need to know what God says about who we are and who he is and the way history is moving and what he's doing. We need to have those great big handles on scripture so that when we come to the things in the world, we place them in the context of God's word and not God's word in the context of the world. That means you have to know the context. To know what scripture says. We have to understand the big picture of everything that's happening. And that means seeing the Bible as the story of God that is pointing you to Jesus and his great love and sacrifice for you. And for those around you. That he's seeking to redeem his good creation. That he's calling us as his children to go to those people that don't yet know Jesus to tell them how desperately they need Jesus. Our world has taken God's word and distorted it to, fit, to try to make us angry at each other. And Jesus is standing there going, no, don't do that. You're missing the whole point. that we would see his great love for his world. How he wants to redeem it. That's not us against them. It is God who has come to redeem his good creation. And we get to be part of it. And when we divorce it from that context and we flip it upside down, we don't look like Jesus anymore. And so we have to see it in the way in which God has shown it to us. And so the whole thing holds it together. I mean, Paul says here, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The key that unlocks all of it is when we see Jesus, we see exactly what God is like. God in the flesh, Hebrews 1. He spoke to us at many times in many ways through prophets and all these things, but in these last days he's spoken to us through his son, who is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. You see exactly what he looks like. Colossians 2. To reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see that here? I want you to have all discernment and knowledge that your love may abound more and more, and that is found in Jesus. And it's only when we see it in that context that it makes any sense. And so then we take the things that we're dealing with the world, and we place them in the context of the Bible, and we see that. And then we can see things with wisdom and discernment. So if you're not sure practically what that looks like, as you go through your life, I just want to remind you, the things that you're spending time on, the things, the voices that are speaking into your life, are they leading you to your love to abound more and more for the people around you, or are they not? Do you turn on the news, and you watch it, 
and you get done, and you're like, man, I just love everybody so much more. <laughs> Does that ever happen? Have you ever turned off the news and thought that? Then throw away your TV. I'm not joking. I mean, Jesus says if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And so if it's really making you angry, and it just makes you frustrated, throw it away. Turn it off. Spend a month, spend the next month, every time you would turn the TV on, open your Bible and see what happens. My guess is your love will abound more and more for the people around you a lot more by spending time with God's Word than it will be watching the news. And so begin to ask those practical questions of what he tells us here. My desire for you is that your love would abound more and more. Knowledge and discernment. Is it helping me give glory to God in everything? If it's not, get rid of it. I said this for years, but I think this is really true. No one on their deathbed is ever going to look back and go, man, I wish I watched more TV. Really wish I would have finished that series on Netflix. Said no one ever on their deathbed. And so continue to seek the Lord in the things that He's told us in His Word. And so we'll end here. It's the last thing. In with us. In verse nine, He says, "It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment." So we just think about practically spend time in God's Word, see everything. And that, through that lens, place the things of the world in the context of Scripture, but then continue to stoke your affections for Jesus through worship. can't tell you how this changes my outlook on every day. When I stop and I spend time praising God, with Jesus at the center of that, and what he's done for me, and I put it in the the framework of Scripture and the way that God has revealed it, and I sing His praises, it changes the way I operate. It changes the way I interact with people. And you know why? Because my affections for Jesus are stoked. My love for Jesus is made more palpable. I sing His praises and go down the road and I listen to it and I hear it. And then I see people and I see them as people that God loves because I know his love, and I know how I need it. And then I see them, and I want them to know this. And it changes every person I see. So turn your TV off, and praise God. Get up each day and thank him. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to overwhelm you with the love that would abound more and more for the people around you. And guess what? He does it. He really does. You silence those voices and you go to his voice and you continue to ask him and he meets you there. So I asked Spencer this morning to play two songs at the beginning and then do three songs after the sermon. We don't usually do that, right? But we're going to do three songs 
And the reason is simply, I want us to praise God together. That our love would abound more and more for Him, and it would overflow to the people around us. So we're going to say, Lord, I need you. We desperately need you. I'm going to sing yearn. I want to yearn for you. And we're going to sing, I love you, Lord. That our love would abound that much more. And that we would leave here seeking to love people in the way that God has loved us. So would you pray with me? God, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts. We pray that you would help us to reject the lies of our culture, that we would seek to love you more and more each day, that we would make you a priority in our life, that we would continue to seek time with other believers, loving and encouraging one another. We pray that we would spend time of praise. We pray that things that we would listen to and spend our time on and give our time to would be things that bring glory to you, that help our love abound more and more for you and for those around us. Would you continue to do this work in our hearts? We thank you that even though that we are in process, that you are going to bring it to completion. Help us to see what that looks like each and every day, that we would make you the priority in our life. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.